principle at work. This principle at work in the scripture, it's at work in the synopsis of Jesus' career that Jesus at one point, and we see it in 16 through 18, is on high, equal with God, but he makes himself low. He humbles himself. And you see that through 19 and 20. He humbles himself and comes down and is subject to the Father. I only do what the Father tells me to. And yet, at some point, he is exalted again upon high and brought back up so he has all the honor the Father has. He has all the judgment entrusted to him. You see that? God upon high who lowers himself and then is exalted. And here we find the most practical and maybe most unpopular of principles in Christianity at work, guiding the life of Jesus Christ. And it goes something like this. The way up is down. The way to reign is to submit. The way to power is to serve. If you want to be first, you need to become what? Last. The way to happiness is to seek the happiness of others. The way to find exaltation is in humbling yourself. The way to find your life is to lose your life. That is the principle. And that principle flies in the face of every self-help book out there you'll read. In fact, I think it flies in the face of what most of us would consider common sense in our culture, right? Um, There's this review, interesting review, of anybody like classical music? going to be a fun day. Bach, the great composer, is this review in the New York Times where they recently released 200 of his cantatas. And they were originally crafted for work in the church setting and worship, but they'd never been recorded with the words before. And so this New York Times, uh, whatever, your reviewer, is, is like appalled says, wait a second, if you read the words here, this is, there's something wrong with Bach. This is not the Bach that we're accustomed to, right? Because if you read these words, these words are poignant. They're full of the despair of humanity apart from God. Humanity is wicked. Humanity is sinful. Humanity is broken. And he says, wait a second, that's not the same Bach that writes these majestic, soaring, liberating, beautiful pieces of music. Bach's been faking it. Bach's been thinking all along he was just another evangelical Christian, right? That's what he says. Now we see the real Bach. And the crux of what he's saying is, how can this be the same Bach? How can the exalted Bach also be the humble Bach? How can the Bach who sings or writes this beautiful liberating music also be a Bach who has such a broken view of humanity? How can it be the same man? And he, the, the deal is this reviewer's worldview cannot account for it, but I hope yours can. We'll see. The humble Bach, full of conviction, is the exalted Bach. To go up, you must go down. To be the greatest, you must become the least. To find yourself, you must lose yourself. So we're going to talk about two things, how the principle wor- why the principle works and how the principle works. So first, why? Why the principle works? Look at Jesus Christ. Tim Keller says this. He says, 
it's with this principle. He's talking about the same reverse economics principle we see at work in the Gospels. With this principle, Jesus plowed through the muck of human condition and has brought order back. Jesus started upon high. And what does Scripture tell us in verses 16 through 18? He claimed he was equal with God. The same work God was doing in the beginning, Jesus claims he did and is doing. How many of you have seen the old movie with George Burns, Oh God? Anyone? Where God is represented as a 90-something-year-old little white man with a big stogie? And somebody asks him in the movie, they say, So, was Jesus Christ your son? He says, Yeah, of course Jesus is my son. And so is Muhammad. And so is Buddha. And, and, and so, and there's a certain sense, I guess, in which it's true that people who love God can be the son of God, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. If George Burns is right, I want to know why the religious leaders were ready to pick up stones and kill Jesus for what he says here. Jesus doesn't say, I'm a son of God, does he? There's a sense in which anyone with a loving relationship with God is a son of God, but Jesus says, I am the son of God, the unique son of God. Of God. And the Jewish leaders knew exactly what he's saying because in the Semitic world at this time, what happens to the firstborn son, the eldest son? It's the law of primogenitor, right? They are f- fully endowed with everything that is the father's. It's not divided up an inheritance between all the other children. The firstborn son gets it all, and he's equal with the father. So when Jesus is saying this here, It's ticking some people off. They knew he's claiming to be the unique son of God. And I know we're in a different culture. Things don't work that way here. So some of this can be lost on us, the intensity of this moment. But all throughout this passage, Jesus claims things that only a creator God could claim. If you look at verse 21, he says that I alone give life. We're told in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy that who gives life? Only God, only the Father can give life because he is the only one with that kind of power. He says in verse 22, I alone judge, but we're told back in the Old Testament in Psalm 75 that only the creator God can sit in judgment on his creations. But most of all, the thing that intrigues me and stands out the most is that he says in verse 23, you must honor the Son just as you honor the Father. He demands worship. Can you imagine how those words fell on the people who were sitting there in that day? How it hit them? This this human we see in front of us saying, I deserve equal worship, equal honor with the Father. Scripture is so clear that nothing created can be worshipped, right? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Isaiah walking into the temple and seeing the Lord high and lifted up. And he sees the angels of God. And he falls down on his face. Over and over throughout Scripture, when people come in contact with an angel, what happens? They freak out, right? And you see people like John. John falls down on his face and starts to worship. Daniel falls down on his face and starts to worship. And what do the angels say? They say the same thing. They say, whoa, 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 no, stop worshiping me. I'm a created being just like you. Admittedly a little better looking, but, you know, I'm a created being just like you. Don't worship me. Nothing that's created is worthy of worship. 
Yet Jesus doesn't only accept worship, he demands it. He demands it just as the Father. And he's saying that that is where I was. I was up there. I was equal with God. And a quick tangent, just very quickly. I know people get uncomfortable with this. I know in our modern day culture, pluralistic society, people get uncomfortable. Like we ask questions like, how do you fit Christianity in with the rest of the world's religions? I don't see how it fits. And the, the answer is, it doesn't fit. I'll tell you why. We hear this all the time. How do our religions start? You have a prophet who comes and he says, I've got a moral teaching that's going to draw you closer to God, draw you closer to who you were created to be. But the problem is, Jesus Christ and Christianity says no moral behavior will bring you to God. Any pattern of behavior is going to be insufficient to bring you to God. Your only hope is that the founder of Christianity is actually God himself in human form, and that if you know him, if you place your faith in him and serve him, he will bring you to the Father through him. Your only hope is not moral behavior. You don't need a prophet. You need a savior. You must leave Jesus in Christianity. That's the thing. If you talk to adherents of any other religion, you know, what happens if you take Buddha out of Buddhism? You still have a great body of moral teachings. Anyone you talk to would say, yes, you could still be Buddhist without Buddha in Buddhism. You'd still be Islamic if you don't have Muhammad in Islam. Yet, you cannot take Christ out of Christianity. He will not go. He will not go. He doesn't fit into any scheme. His claims are such that he cannot just be a great man. He's either far more than a great man or he's far less than a great man. But he can't just be a great man. A great man doesn't say, you must honor me like the Father. A great man doesn't say, I alone can give you life. Right? He's either a whack job, or he's something more than a great man. But he can't, he can't go. He, he won't go out of Christianity. And that's where he was. He was up there, but then he, he came down, and now he's come down. Verse 19, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And people get confused. How does that fit in with Jesus saying he's equal with God? Suddenly he's saying he only does what the Father tells him to do, what, what the Father shows him to do. He doesn't do anything without the Father's help. What's going on? Well, Paul writes about this in Philippians 2. He does a masterful job of it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And Paul says this, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. So even though he had equality with the Father, he didn't hold on to that equality. He gave it up and humbled himself and he came down. Why? Why did he do it? Well, that's what we sang about earlier, right? It's a, it's a question of honor. Human beings refuse to honor their true Lord and Savior. We have decided to live for our own honor and glory, haven't we? For the most part of our life. Yeah, God is pretty awesome, but I think I can do a better job with my life. God's pretty amazing, but I still, like, even though he says some cool stuff about me, I still need other people to approve of me and tell me all kinds of awesome stuff about me. 
what God says isn't enough. We're constantly searching for more than God. It's the just penalty for our heartless and cruel rebellion that was paid when our king left his honor behind. And he came down and died for us upon the tree and took upon himself the dishonor that you and I deserve. And when he did that, all human notions of what is up and what is down were forever turned upside down. Everything's flipped. Why? Because the great disaster became the great triumph. Because when Jesus Christ came and was tortured and killed in weakness, he accomplished the triumph of the greatest strength. When he was run through on a battlefield, he won. Do you see the opposite thing at work there? The upside-down life? And as a result, we are told that he's back on top. He's gone back up to this place of the highest honor, and he's the judge of all things. That's what Philippians 2 finishes with, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What happens to us in light of that? Now, not only, not only should we feel duty-bound to worship him as our creator, because we wouldn't have life without him. But now we see what he's done for us to redeem us to pick us back up out of the muck and the mire and bring us to himself. And now we, we almost have a double duty. Yeah, we worship him as creator, but we also worship him as our redeemer. It warms our heart. Like, I pray and I hope that something within your heart begins to well up like a geyser and just like burst forth in worship when you think about how much God has loved you in Jesus Christ. How much he was willing to sacrifice. He left it all. He sacrificed everything. He didn't hold on to one thing. He left it for you. To have you for himself. And that's the career of Jesus Christ. That's why the principle works. What's the principle? One more time. Do you see it? It's the way to blessing is to take on the curse. The way to riches is to give everything up. The way to be first is to become last. The way to get honor is not to seek your own honor, but to give honor to God and to your brethren. The way to greatness is to give up your life. And that means at least this. And There's one application that I want to make today. Just, just one. That the way to maturity, peace, joy, contentment is to do what Jesus Christ did. It's to submit to God's will. That's what Paul is saying. Right When he says, have this mind in you which was in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. If Jesus Christ, who is God, was willing to will the Father's will, to want only what God wanted, to subdue his own will so completely to the Father's will, if he was willing to do that, then we have to do it. We have to do it. That's what we're called to do. And what I'm saying may look to your average person like craziness. It's, a, it's like a suicide of sorts. Die to yourself? Give up your life? 
dying every day to your own will, but it's actually liberation. What the Bible calls every human being to is to submit to God's will. Do you know what it means to submit to God's will? Do you know what it means? Let me give you a few remarks on what it looks like based on what Jesus did. Is in a way, this is, guys, this is the secret to unlocking the potential for your life that God has. Just like with Jesus Christ, because he humbled himself, because he gave up his will, he found power. He found honor. The way up is down, right? So submission means four things. It means wrestling. It means a decision to trust. It means struggling to see your life from a higher vantage point. And lastly, submission means joy. I'm going to be brief. So first, submission is wrestling. A lot of people hear when the Bible says God loves you, God accepts you, God forgives you. We love that part, right? That's awesome. Woo! Amen. And then we say, now God wants you to submit your entire life to him. And it gets deathly quiet. A hush falls upon the crowd, right? You need to willingly will it. You need to submit. You need to give yourself to it. And people say, that sounds scary. That's pathological. Isn't that unhealthy to do that, to just do whatever God says? Well, it could be if you don't understand it right. Submission is wrestling. There was a guy I knew in downtown. Um, unfortunately, he's gone on. But um, he, he had a really rough year, lost his business, lost his wife, lost his family. And during that time, I got to meet with him once or twice out and about. And somebody had told him that if it's God's will, you should be happy. So for a year, he walked around saying, ah, I'm not going to mourn. I'm not going to regret. It's God's will. It's just the way it's supposed to be. What do you think happened after that year? He, he crashed and burned. And he totally did a 180 and started saying, it's God's fault. And see, in neither of those scenarios was he actually submitting to the will of God. What does it look like when we submit to God's will? Well, look at Jesus in Gethsemane. Right before the cross, he's waiting to be tortured and killed. What does he say? I'm about to be tortured and killed. Praise the Lord. I've got the victory. No need to be sad about this. He says, I'm sorrowful even unto death. I can't bear the weight. It's like I'm crumbling under the weight like a, like a moth next to a blowtorch. I just I can't handle it. Yet I'm doing this for you. Not my will, but his be done. See, there's no lack of reality in that. Submission is wrestling because, number two, submission is a decision to trust. When the Bible says that we need to submit to God's will, it's not talking about knuckling under. It's not talking about just being pulled under resignation, apathy, ah, whatever, God's will is going to happen anyway. Anybody ever been there before? Why do I even care? Have you seen Jesus Christ Superstar? Who knew Jesus could sing, right? Great voice. And, and there's this point in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus sings and he says, he says this, he says, God, thy will is hard, but you hold every card. Go on, kill me before I change my mind. Remember that? Now that, that is being pulled under. That's not a decision. That's not even being human. 
Not saying this. What, what Jesus actually says, when you read like John 7, 17, I love this. He says, if any man will, will to do my Father's will. Will to do his will. I want to. It's my desire. It's a decision. And there's two parts of God's will. There's God's planned will, and there's God's command will. John Piper talks about this great. He says, there are two ways of talking about the will of God. Both are true. Both are important to understand and believe in. One we can call God's will of decree, or his sovereign planned will. And the other we can call God's will of command. His will of decree always comes to pass, whether we believe in it or not. What's going to happen is going to happen. God's in control. But his will of command can be broken and is every day. Let me ask you something. How are you responding to God's will? His command will. Let's talk about that. There are things that he says in his word we must do. So we approach life deciding if we're going to submit to his commands or not. And if I'm honest, in this situation, I might be committing professional suicide. Nevertheless, I will to do his will. It's a decision. Or his planned will and the way he organizes the circumstances of your life. Have you ever said to God, yeah, I'm a bit disappointed in this situation. I'm nervous about how this is going to turn out. Nevertheless, I will to do your will. It's a decision. And maybe somebody says, well, yeah, I see it's a decision. That's great. I see what Jesus does here. But I, I've never really fully submitted, not like Jesus does. I've, I've always either been angry or apathetic. I've never found the way up by going down. I've never found out how to win by losing or to reign by submitting. And I don't know how. It seems way too hard. Here's the secret, if, if there is one, if there's a secret. Number three, struggling to see your life from a higher vantage point. I remember when Ivan was a little guy, um, I passed on all of my G.I. Joes to him. And I heard one day crying, wailing from his room. And I go running in. What's going on? And they had these cheap little rubber bands that held them together. You guys remember that? Old G.I. Joe's? And it's totally busted. And he's inconsolable. I, you know, I'm trying to help him. He's inconsolable. I'm like, Ivan, I'll buy you more. What do you think he did? He kept crying, right? I could have said, Ivan, I'll give you a million dollars right now. What do you think he would have done? He would have kept crying. Right? Because at the end of the day, the issue... The problem wasn't the G.I. Joe. It was his vantage point. It was his vantage point. And the real problem with most of the stuff we're dealing with, the, the real problem with your loneliness, your loneliness isn't the problem. Your, that relationship, your financial fixes, that's not the problem. Your broken G.I. Joe is not the problem. It's your vantage point. Jesus looked at the most mind-blowing, staggering, horrific pain ever in the history of the world. Other people have been crucified, but they hadn't been separated from the Father. They hadn't taken on the weight of sin. He looked at that, and what did he say? Because he struggled up and got the right vantage point, what, what did he say? He said, I will suffer this for several hours in order to have a glorious, redeemed world that will last forever. That's a vantage point. Do you see that? George Matheson is this hymn writer in the 19th century, and George got engaged to the girl of his dreams. She's beautiful. He, he just he was very excited. 
Just kidding. <laughs> Worst thing happens, George goes blind right before they go to get married. And wh what does she do? She leaves him. He's crushed. Horrible, horrible story. And, and she dropped him, walked out of his life. Later on, he wrote this hymn. It says, O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust, life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. I lay in dust, life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, my hopes died. But, he's saying, instead of being bitter, he expected, like Christ, on the far side of the death of his hope, a resurrection. Do you know what that resurrection was? He said he had some hopes that died, but he had these new hopes. He had a new heart, a, an approachable, wise, profound heart, and he developed this ability to touch people in his day. He had a whole set of people he could have never reached before. He could have never imagined helping and saving their lives. I lay in dust, life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life. That shall endless be. He says, on the far side of the death of my hopes, I know there's a resurrection. I submit, I will to do the Father's will. Do you see that? We normally say, well, I could. I could do that if I just knew why. If God would show me why he wants to do things that way, you know, if you knew why, you wouldn't be submitting. Because you'd still stay in control. If you knew why, you'd be in control of your life. You, you will not submit unless you have some control of your life. So you aren't submitting. You stay the king of your little life. I could submit if I knew why. In other words, you won't do it. You won't submit. And guys, when, when suffering and trouble come into your life, as they have for so many of us here, they will either turn you into something great or they will turn you into something that's subhuman. But they will not leave you the same. And here's what we're learning. You have to submit or they'll turn you into something bitter. Jesus Christ in the Bible, he says, the Bible says that his prayer was heard in the garden. And you say, wait a second. I thought he still died. Didn't he say, let this cut pass? But Hebrews 5.7 says his prayers, his prayers were heard for his reverent submission. How could they be heard? No, he said, Father, I want to do your will. I want what's best. I will to do your will. You guys know what the Council of Scripture says about God's will and your prayers? That Tim Keller says this quote all the time I love. God will always give you exactly what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. And when I say that, you hear the, oh, hmm. Right? What's happening there? Well, I'm pushing you to a vantage point. You're seeing life from a different perspective, from a different angle. And you struggle to get up there. And until you do, your will to do his will doesn't result in joy. It doesn't immediately result in this amazing contentment, this soaring freedom, right? I lay in dust, life's glory dead. And from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. Do you know what it means to struggle up to that vantage point until you can see from his perspective? Listen, I'll tell you. Look at the people around the cross. 
Look at the people around the cross. They're shaking their fist. They're angry. They're bitter. What good could come of this? The Son of God dying on the cross. What good could come of this? Because nobody's coming up to them and saying, hey, here's a Bible. Actually, it says in the New Testament, the Bible wasn't invented yet, of course, and, and the New Testament wasn't, right? And it explains this all. If he would just read this, he would have peace. No, they won't do it. They refuse to submit their minds to the truth. Instead, what are they doing? They're trying to submit the truth to their tiny minds, to their agenda. To, they walk away bitter from the cross, looking at the greatest act of God's redemption in history. Now, you're not mad at God that Jesus had to die because you have a book. It tells you why. But there are so many things in your life that you're going through that you don't have a book for. Are you going to walk away just like they did because you don't have a book? I could submit if I just knew why. In other words, you won't do it. There's this author, uh, movie out of Africa, author, uh, Isak Denison. And she says this, she says, you shouldn't be surprised. I almost put the quote up there, but it's really thick, so I'm just going to paraphrase it. She says basically this, rich people and poor people, they're, they're never surprised when trouble shows up. They've always known life is full of trouble. It's the bourgeois, the middle class, that is always angry when trouble shows up. We get so frustrated. She says the, the rich and the poor... They, they've always known that life is scored in a minor key, but, but the, the middle class, we struggle to hold on to our life with anger. As if, as if life owes us an orderly, comfortable life. And the Christian is someone who's gotten rid of this, the bourgeois mentality, if you will. A Christian is someone who looks at God and says, if my master suffered, I'm not above him, I'll suffer. If I obey God, I will lose some friends. If I obey God, I will lose some money. If I obey God, I might have some lonely nights because I won't sleep with this person or that person. If I obey God, I might just have some of my life, my emotions, my schedule ripped up because I'll be involved with people I ordinarily wouldn't have spent time on because of their drama. Yeah. But I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop being a bourgeois crybaby because I'm a Christ follower. Because I know there are other things out there for me. There's other friends. There's other rewards. There's, there's riches. There's hopes. I lay in dust life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. And that brings us to our last point. Submission in the end is joy. And that's where we end. Maybe you're saying to yourself, well, that doesn't sound like joy to me. That sounds terrible. You're scaring me to death. I thought I could be a Christian, live a good moral life, have everything I want. This idea of submitting and subduing my will totally and completely, that sounds awful. I don't want that. But remember the whole thesis. The way up is down. It's the upside down life. And you go down not to stay down. You die to yourself not to stay dead. Jesus didn't die to stay dead. He died to be resurrected. He didn't humble himself. Yeah, hey, there we go. He didn't humble himself to stay humbled forever, but he humbled himself because he was going to be exalted. And in the same way, if you submit yourself, I promise it will mean joy. 
Would you please listen to this? I, suppose God came to you and said, look, here's the pen. Go ahead and just write the rest of your life. I'm going to give you control. Write your circumstances out. Whatever you want. A little Bruce, little Bruce Almighty action. Just, you know, go ahead. Have at it. Write whatever you want. What would you do? You'd probably jump right on it, right? But here's my question for you. Which self is going to do it? Your Sunday self or your Tuesday self? Watch out. Your 15-year-old self? Your 30, your 45-year-old self? Which self is going to do this? And you say, well, the one, the one I've got right now, I would do it, right? Well, why not your 15-year-old self? Why not let your 15-year-old self dictate the rest of your life? Because I was an idiot back then. Well, now you've got it all together, don't you? You've arrived. The crescendo of wisdom. But that's what you thought when you were 15. What makes you think you've arrived now? What is your alternative to doing God's will? Listen to me, family. I know what he's doing in your life right now may seem confusing. I know there's been times in my life when he's disappointed me the most. When I was trying to get me, I was trying to get my life, and the whole time he was trying to get me out of the grip of idols that were diminishing my existence. I pitied myself. I hated the world because I wasn't getting my own way. I needed to be freed from those idols. I don't know what he's doing in your case, but I do know this. He's bringing you to a resurrection beyond the death of your hopes. A resurrection of new hopes and new joys if you will submit to him. The son only do, does what the father shows him. He does nothing except that which the Father says. Family, would you please go lay yourself down in the dust today? You are crushed under the weight of your own sovereign self. But try it today. Try surrendering. Try submitting. Try trusting your loving Father. Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. There are some of you out there, maybe for the first time, you realize that Christianity is not just a moral religion. It's not just a matter of being moral. Of course, if you're a Christian, you'll become more moral, hopefully. But that's not the issue. What's the issue? It says it right in verse 23 as we close. That you will be judged based upon what? Whether you honor the Son or not, what are you going to do with Jesus? Hmm. Jesus Christ is calling for something radical. You either have to reject him or you have to decide to live your life completely for his glory. That's what he's saying. The Jewish leaders knew what he was saying. They wanted to kill him. The disciples knew what he was saying. They left everything to follow him. You've got to kill him or you've got to crown him, but you can't just be moderate. You have to lose yourself to find yourself. 
One more quote, Tim Keller says, you'll never know who you are until you want something more than who you are. And family, for those of us that are Christ followers in this room, many of you know right now as the Holy Spirit's bringing to light areas of your life that you are not submitting to Him. You're sitting back. You're saying, yeah, when He shows me why, then I'll step in. In other words, you're not submitting. I want to encourage you as we come down to this altar and we take communion and we pray together in community, I want to encourage you to wrestle, to fight, to struggle against every thought that would say somehow that your way is best, that you know best, that you could be a better sovereign Lord over your life, and that you would trust, that you would surrender and submit to God. The way up is down. The way to find yourself is to lose yourself. Let's pray. Father, as we come down here and we confess our failure to live for you, to actually believe the gospel in a daily sense, I pray that firstly you would remind us of the great grace that we have in you, that firstly you already came and paid the price for us, purchasing us back from the dead. Every failure we've had to submit to you, you submitted in our place to the Father. We're free. We're forgiven. We're loved. I pray that you would remind our hearts of that truth. That we would come and confess, not out of guilt and condemnation, but out of joy in what you have done for us. And Father, I pray that you would just let us feel your love. Holy Spirit, that you would fill this, this crowd with a sense of your presence, that you would convict our hearts of sin, and that you would draw us to you, that we would find life in these next few moments as we apply what your word says in this text, this great principle that to find our life, we're called to lay it down, just as our king, and that, that, that is where we find our life. It's good news. In Jesus' name. Just want to encourage you guys as some music plays.